Nobody wants to fail for failure's sake, but you can fail and learn and get better. And being able to coach one through that process, uh, I think is probably one of the most important leadership exercises. That's what creates energy. Kathleen Hogan is the Chief People Officer at Microsoft. Full transparency, Kathleen and I have known each other since the late 90s when I worked with her and her colleagues at McKinsey & Company in Silicon Valley. Last fall, I was fortunate enough to be able to be introduced to our other guest here today. Satya Nadella is the Chief Executive Officer of Microsoft. He was one of the interviews that I got to conduct as part of an engagement that I was doing here last fall. And at the end of the interview, I took a shot and I invited him to join us in today's podcast. He very graciously accepted. The truth is, there are very few senior executives who I want to be on this podcast. You see, the thing is, most senior executives will talk a very good game about leadership and change. The difference with these two individuals here at Microsoft is they are playing and they are winning at a very hard game, changing a culture. Satya has termed it the re-finding of the soul of Microsoft. This is Drew Kugler with Kathleen Hogan and Satya Nadella on Tell Me What to Say. Kathleen and Satya, thank you for joining me here today. Um, Satya, I'll go to you first. Uh, what made you put down such a big bet on the connection between culture and it as a vehicle for growing your business? What, what did you do to figure that out? First of all, thank you for having me on this uh, podcast. You know, if you look at any successful organization, company, institution, uh, what happens is you get into this amazing virtuous cycle between the concept or the idea that you had for your company, the capability that you built around that uh, concept, and then the culture that implicitly grew. Uh, And you really get into this complete reinforcement between the three and round and round it goes. Except at some point, uh, the concept that you originally came up with will run out of gas because there's no such thing as a perpetual motion machine. And when that happens, that's when your culture will matter, which is the culture that implicitly grew in the first place. Was it conducive enough to build new capability long before it was needed uh, for the new concept. So for me at Microsoft, you know, given where we are in our life cycle, which is we are 43 years old, we've had tremendous success uh, as a company. Uh, For me coming in as a CEO, I recognized inherently that beyond not, not only needing new concepts, new ideas that we need to pursue, we needed to work on culture as a first class thing that in the first place will allow us to build that capability and concepts. And so that's why I prioritized our culture. How did you go about deciding uh, how you were going to use culture? What were some of the things that you looked into? Was it, you know, many listeners call me, what can I read on that? Mm. What were the real um, prompts for you to 
to move you to that point. Yeah, I mean, uh, there was a book I'd read uh, maybe a couple of years before I became CEO, which was more instrumental in sort of changing um, things outside of work, which is called Mindset by Carol Dweck. In fact, my wife had introduced me to it more in the context of my uh, children's education. And I read it and I realized that, wow, this, I mean, she, the way I distill it down is this one very simple concept of if you take two kids in school, one of them is got even more innate capability, but the other one uh, has less innate capability, but the person with less innate capability is a learn-it-all, and the person with more innate capabilities is a know-it-all, we know how that story ends. The person uh, who's a learn-it-all will always do well in the end. And I think that that applies to CEOs, that applies to everyone and, and companies at large. Mm -hmm. So it appealed to me, um, and I felt that if, because the pursuit I wanted uh, or the cultural meme I wanted for us to even begin the dialogue of culture as something first class at Microsoft was a learning culture. But I always it was hard for me to grab onto what's the way to talk about learning. And this metaphor of growth mindset or transitioning from the know-it-all to learn-it-all uh, was something that at least to me felt like a great way to make it accessible, make it something that appeals. And I didn't want it to be new dogma from whether Kathleen or me. Uh, it needed to be something that appealed to individuals uh, because it'll make them a better parent, it'll make them a better partner, better colleague, better leader. Uh, and so that's the other reason why I think this one appealed a lot to me. And so we picked that up uh, as the cultural meme. And of course, Kathleen and and all the rest right. of our leaders and managers and individuals in the Microsoft have shaped it a lot. So, so Kathleen, in, um, in Satya's book, uh, Hit Refresh, uh, he refers to you as his uh, partner in the cultural transformation. Uh, how did you begin uh, your piece uh, as the chief people officer to, to start your uh, contributions and efforts to such a huge undertaking? Well, thanks, and, and it's great to be here as well. And uh, I'll talk about, you know, quote, my role, but again, it's been a total team sport in terms of uh, transforming the culture, right, with, with, with all the employees here. But when Satya first approached me about leading HR, and I don't know if you remember this, Satya, but I remember coming in and saying, you know, what's my scorecard? You know, I was running services, a P&L, all sorts of things, and Satya said, the one thing I want you to do is help me transform the culture. So even back then, he was crystal clear that that was really going to be important, right? The mission and the culture are things that I want to be eternal. Our strategy is going to evolve, but that's going to be really important to us. And so, and, and at that time, he had been reading that book, uh, Mindset. And um, but then we we actually went through a nine-month process from that point to really engage many, many, many people in this process, right? We engaged the SLT. We had an offsite with the SLT. We can talk about that. We. Um, took our 180 corporate vice presidents off-site and had uh, uh, where we broke into 17 teams and created the culture cabinet. We were doing surveys. We were doing focus groups. So we spent about nine months, this concept of going from a learn-it-all to a know-it-all, uh, wrong way, from a know-it-all to a learn-it-all culture uh, before we ultimately grounded it in this concept of a growth mindset. So it was a, it was a pretty long process that we mm -hmm. went through. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just Kathleen or Sacha coming up with this. We, we engaged a lot of people um, before we declared what our Aspire to culture is, which is this growth mindset really focused on being customer obsessed, more diverse and inclusive, and, and one Microsoft. Yeah, 
So, so stay with me on, on, on this idea of all of these conversations that you were um, creating. And one of the things I like to point out is important conversations are very deliberate and very intentional. You can't just walk in the room and hope for the best. Um, I am guessing, though, that, and I'll take a thought from you and, and a story from Satya uh, as well, what comes to mind when you think about the best moments and the toughest moments in those conversations, which by your own description, nine months, laying the groundwork, that was, that was a critical time. What, what's a, an example that comes to mind of, of success and struggle? Well, many, frankly, many come to mind. I mean, I, and I mentioned the first offsite we had with the SLT, and this was the first time we went into a room like this where we were literally sitting in couches and chairs, no PCs, no phones. You know, you thought that we had asked them to, you know, give up their firstborn, right? Because that was really hard for people. And so I'd say that started out difficult, right? But by the end, when we really were talking about What's our purpose? What authentically do we do we want as an SLT? And I thought that was a that was a good conversation that we had. The other one was we um, and Satya talks about in the book when we have this uh, executive offsite with 180 CVPs. We said let's talk about culture, and I think you Satya said we thought it might be a cute nod where everybody over dinner would say fine, we'll spend five minutes talking about culture and then we'll do whatever we want. But people stayed late into the night and really talked about the culture that they wanted to have. And then when we met in the morning, Sachi and I met with the 17 leaders of the team uh, captains of the tables, they had really thought deeply about this. And mm -hmm. so I'd say that was a, a good conversation in terms of, I think it surprised us how much people really wanted to define the culture and that the culture was gonna matter to our leadership team. Yeah, yeah I mean, one of the things that strikes me you know, whatever, multiple years now into this journey is we never framed this cultural conversation or change and transformation as sort of a get from attribute ABC to attribute XYZ as fast as possible and call it done. Uh, if anything, we framed it as this continuous process of renewal. In some sense, we will never reach a destination. You're never going to claim. In fact, the first day you will never be, you'll go from being a learn-it-all to know-it-all is when you say you're done. <laughs> um, and so that has actually helped us uh, in two ways. One is not to get overly anxious about making quick progress. Uh, this is not about, it's, it's, so the ability to give each of us even breathing space. What does growth mindset mean to you? Or what does it mean to be a learn-it-all? Uh, bring your own personality, even in that first uh, SLT that we had or the senior leadership team offsite we had, one of the most interesting exercises was each of us had to go around and talk about what is it that personally drives us? What's in fact our personal philosophy? And we would then go on to relate that to saying, look, we've got to be able to take whatever drives you, whatever is your passion, your personal philosophy, and connect that to Microsoft's mission. And that's when you have created the necessary condition uh, for a learn-it-all culture. Because without that, it's going to be hard. I mean, it's just, you know, you're not going to do... Uh, things at this company. In fact, many times I describe this as, what if we turn the equation, which is don't consider it as you're working for Microsoft, but Microsoft as a platform is working for you. Uh, is that the way to switch on 
the right mindset. Uh, because the real thing that we're asking here is for you to confront your own fixed mindset, right? I mean, uh, the growth mindset is not about, wow, I learned all this. In fact, acknowledging the f- every day, starting with me, all the places where, oh, wow, I wish I'd listened more. I wish I had sort of taken the cues. I wish I had sort of uh, been more in touch with the unmet, unarticulated needs of customers. Those are the things that I think... Uh, really will shape our culture. I know you talk about important conversations, and Sajid's always said the first important conversation is the one you have with yourself, right? Which is, where did I show up with a fixed mindset? I mean, and Sajid, every Friday when we debrief, always talks first about himself. You know, gosh, in that meeting, I showed up with, you know, more of a fixed mindset than I might have wanted to. And um, I think that's really important, because in the beginning, people would show up and say, hey, Sach, I've, I found the five people who have yeah. a fixed mindset. Right. And uh, he kept saying, no, it's not about that. It's, it's really, it starts with yourself, right? right. Do, you, uh, do you help when someone comes to you with their inventory of the fixed mindsets that they have found? What's the, because I, I would see that as the difficult moment, because that also then depletes to a certain extent the individual. What do you say to them? How do you keep them infused with um, energy? It's a great question. I mean, um, one of the things that I've also come to realize is, although I would call it your own personal example of being that person who is confronting your own fixed mindset uh, or exhibiting that you know, attributes of a learn it all is the best way to create energy. Uh, as a CEO, though, I should also uh, acknowledge that sometimes the system may not let a person. Uh, and so therefore, my job should always be to work on with Kathleen and others on how do we make sure that the company's overall environment take inclusiveness and diversity. Uh, you absolutely want to make progress where everyone who comes into this company can do their very best uh, because they find the overall culture to be more inclusive and more diverse. Uh, And you have to do a lot of things right in order to get that uh, culture. But that said, individually, my advice to anybody would be do not underestimate the power you have to influence and change Uh, And do not overestimate the power everybody else has. Um, And that, I think, is true. It's it's true in all of our lives. You don't need to be CEO to do that. Uh, But that doesn't mean I don't acknowledge my responsibility as a CEO to create a better and a better environment each day. Uh, But I think that's how I would say uh, we go about it. And the practical way is, uh, sometimes the question both Kathleen and I would get is, hey, what is this growth mindset? It seems abstract, or how, the, how do I go about exercising this? Simple. You, every customer conversation, for a salesperson, it might be an actual conversation. For a developer, it could be looking at the log files. Uh, either one of them they sh- it sh- is a great opportunity for us to confront maybe some of the hypotheses we had in the past and now get more in touch with the unmet, unarticulated needs. Uh, so that'll be an example. Every meeting that we have, uh, if we want to be more inclusive in our culture, uh, that will require each one of us to say, how do I invite everyone to contribute? Are the people with the ideas able to surface them? So these are just two examples of practically mm-hmm. exhibiting it. Well, and Sachin and I've talked about what I would say are what are big symbolic things that you can do, but then 
just small things, like you talk about inclusive behaviors. We've rolled out 10 inclusive behaviors, and you know, a lot of teams just have a discussion, pick one, right? Satya himself uh, in the monthly Q&A has talked about the inclusive behavior he works on, right? Um, and wow, that's, that's powerful in terms of uh, role modeling that. And so it's, it's small things, but then also big symbolic things. We changed our company meeting where for four hours we would talk at employees, and now we have this hackathon where for a week we're really getting ideas from employees, and, and that's been very symbolic. So I think we've tried to be intentional about big symbolic things, small things. The other thing I think that has been really helpful is Sacha, you know, this podcast is about conversation. I think Sacha has a monthly consistent conversation with all the employees. And I think that's really helped, you know, with a consistent drumbeat around the mission and the culture, right? He always comes back to that, even if the strategy is evolving. And, you know, people, anybody can come to the microphone and ask a question, right. and often you do get questions about fixed mindset, and, you know, that's an opportunity for Satya to, to talk about the culture, yeah, reinforce, I mean, reinforce it. Right. I mean, what you just mentioned, Kathleen, I think is an important one, which is um, the consistency of the overall frame, whether it's our sense of purpose and mission or our culture, uh, and going back to it and letting it, in some sense, permeate for people to think about it, ask the hard questions, and go dig deeper and deeper on the same set of themes has been helpful. Because one thing I've come to realize the power of is having simple frameworks like this. Even at our scale, without that simplicity, it's very hard because it's too complex. And if you change the frame, then it becomes even more confusing. And then there's no shortcut to time. Um, that's why I think uh, <laughs> framing this as a continuous process of renewal, not looking for perfection in some finite time, um, and having tolerance for it, uh, the fact that you may have to go back. And quite frankly, sometimes I also get impatient. Uh, and you know, Kathleen sort of catches me on those moments. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I realize that, well, you know, this is what the, it's, we're all human. Uh, what we're looking for is that personal meaning in what we do. Uh, and that is not consistent, even for any one of us, uh, you know, and so therefore letting that be okay. Uh, and that's why I never like to sort of talk about, oh, let's celebrate some transformation. I want to, in fact, celebrate the struggle every day right. uh, of uh, the imperfect sort of world we live in. So, so let me build on the notion of struggle for a second. Have you comment on something I one thing in your book that really struck out. And I just want to read it very quickly and get you both, if you will, to comment on how you deal with it. Uh, Culture change is hard, he wrote. Uh, it can be painful. The fundamental source of resistance to change is the fear of the unknown. Really big questions um, uh, for which there may be no certain answers can be scary. In my world, I deal with that is the, the, the currency I deal with every day is people afraid to change. I'm curious, especially as you get out into the other countries, the, the wide 100,000 employee reach you have to have, how do you help both yourself and others process and confront the fear? It's a great question. One thing... Um, we have focused a lot on is also something that we describe as leadership principles. Uh, there are three of them. Uh, one of them is 
Create clarity. Create clarity, create energy, uh, and generate success. Especially the attribute of creating um, energy, I think is super important, which is if you have a very, what I would call a deep accountability culture, which we have, uh, and we used to take a great pride in it, it does work against this change, which is because of the way I just described it, which is, wow, I'm going to change and I don't know what's going to break, but I'm accountable. Um, that's what creates resistance. So, for example, in our case, we've had to make some systemic changes in what we measure, what we hold people uh, accountable for, and what permission do we even give people uh, to get things wrong and it's okay. Mm. Um, so we've had a lot, like, and the most classic one is, for example, instead of measuring things like revenue and profit as the only things, even though I am measured on it each quarter, which I think you can't get away. As CEO, you're going to have to report your quarter. But at the same time, if you say, you know, since I'm measured on revenue and profit every quarter, I'm going to take that same pressure and permeate it through 100,000 people. It's just not going to work because there's going to be people who have to sort of create new things, fail at them. Uh, the leading indicators of success is what you should track. Um, so to me, that fear can only be mitigated if you give them permission to fail. And that's an art form. Nobody wants to fail for failure's sake, but you can fail and learn and get better. Uh, and being able to coach one through that process, uh, I think is probably one of the most important leadership exercises. That's what creates energy. You know, it's classic. When leaders come in and say, when things have gone wrong, is when they need to create energy. Not when things are going great. Right. Energy will always be there. Uh, and to me, that's what's at a premium. Well, yeah. and that's, the, I think, the essence of the growth mindset. In fact, Dr. Dweck, we met with Dr. Dweck early on. Yeah. And she really talked about how the key conversations you have to have are not just about people who took risks and were successful. You know, of course, that's what you want to celebrate. But how do you look at the people who took risks, failed, but made you better, stronger, and got you closer to the answer than the person who just played it safe. Mm. And how do you do that to really allow people to feel like they can take risks and fail and, and it's going to be okay, right? Yeah. And let's, let's be clear, that's not the same as people who are just taking dumb risks all the time and failing all the time, right? right? And, and this is where I think, you know, I'm a big fan of, the, you know, Joseph Campbell. Uh, and I think you have to have these myths inside the company that people believe in uh, because that's, you know, wow, I failed at it, I learned, and I didn't get punished. Mm. Uh, unless and until that is true. It's not that the CEO is saying it. It has to be true in the company. Yeah. Uh, and unless and until that is the case, then it's not going to come true. And I think it's 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 case after case after case. I mean, I have my own example with Satya where like a month into this role, I was failing. I mean, we really couldn't schedule interviews. And I had to go in. I said, Satya, I'm going to... I'm going to send out my first email to all exec staff basically saying that, you know, I'm failing on this. And uh, would you read the email? And I, I promised that was the only time I was going to ask you to read my emails. But, you know, Satya said to me, you know, you're too apologetic, right? You guys made a bad decision, but you're fixing the decision. Just assert that and move on. And wow, when I went back and told the team, it was like a huge... Um, burden had been lifted off their mm -hmm. shoulders. And I tell you, the, the team has had the most 
creative uh, recruiting ever in the last two years. And I think part of it was the permission to try, fail, and get better and stronger versus play it safe. Um, and so it's, it's those moments, you know, and it's not just Sach, it's all of us as leaders in those moments, how you behave, I think creates the, you know, mitigates the fear that you're talking exactly. about so that you can really get to the change that you want to see. Exactly. So Kathleen, I'm, I'm conscious of, of our time here. So I want to, out of the time we've had in our years as, as colleagues uh, and friends, I want to give the last question to you. Um, oh, no. Oh, no. It's not, it's not <laughs> that. But it really is, uh, now that I've been around here a little bit over the past few months, the, some of the word on the street uh, is, you know, we need to do this because Satya wants us to do this. Uh, you hear reference a lot, the book, the everything. How do you and your colleagues, separate from Satya, keep it a Microsoft transformation and not Satya's? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And again, I think that's partly why we don't think we will ever be uh, declaring success here, right? Like Satya's always said, it's not that we freeze and unfreeze culture, right? We're on this constant journey. And it can't just be about Satya, to your point. I think it's necessary, but not sufficient. I mean, certainly if you have a CEO that's willing to drive culture as much as Satya has and be as authentic to the culture, that's certainly an accelerator. Mm -hmm. But then it's really about how do you activate all employees, right? Like the hackathon that I mentioned. And then the other area really is the 16,000 managers, right? How do you take 16,000 managers? And we've been on that journey with the managers for them to truly believe it, um, as opposed to it's because Satya said so. But I even go back to when we first defined the culture, right, spending nine months, right? This wasn't Satya coming up with the culture. This was nine months of activating thousands of focus groups and focus groups, engineering, sales, millennials, non-millennials, U.S., outside the U.S. I mean, you, know, you go through all the different groups that we, um, that we brought on board into this dialogue around the culture we wanted that I, I really feel confident that when we landed the culture, it was something that in general people wanted that culture. This wasn't Satya wanted it and nobody else wanted it. I Good. think everybody wanted this culture. And now together we've been figuring out how we all can lean in and create the culture that we want to have. Good. So um, I could spend a lot more time on that. But, um, but that's how you did it. Yeah, it's, I think it's many, yeah, it's activating Good. all layers, right, from employees to the managers to the senior leaders to play an important role. But ultimately, it's about people believing in the growth mindset. That's you know, for it. me personally, the reason why I love this culture is because I truly believe in it. I believe in it for myself, right? I mean, if you truly believe that potential is not predetermined, that you really can grow and learn, right, and that you get your mindset that this is about learning versus looking smart, it really can unlock amazing things. Mm -hmm. And I see that in myself. I see that with my the people I work with. I see that with my son, right? Mm, like I've used growth mindset. I mean, it started with the new Satch's wife, you know, using that book uh, in, in, in his personal life. And I've used it in my personal life, too. So if you, if you can get something that you truly believe, that's what it's about. It's about having everybody truly believe it at Microsoft versus because somebody said so. Yeah. Satch, is this, is it where at this point where you had hoped for as you started out and read Dr. Dweck's book? Or you know, there are two thoughts on that. Uh, one is um, it's actually a pleasant surprise uh, that something like this uh, has taken root. And quite frankly, and the only reason why it's taken root is definitely not because 
uh, of some new dogma from me. It's because I think it speaks, as Kathleen so eloquently put it, to each of us individually. No one would say, I want to be a learn-it-all or I'll confront my fixed mindset because my CEO asked me to do it. They'll only do it if they felt that this is going to make them a better parent, a better partner, a better colleague. And I think that's what's invoked. And so I'm pleasantly surprised because I had not understood the power of picking a cultural meme that doesn't discriminate between your life at home and your life at work. Uh, it talks to your complete se you know, self. Uh, so that's, I think, what in some sense we are lucky uh, to have picked up this as the cultural meme. And the second aspect of it is we are not sitting here and trying, to, like, we, we resist this temptation. Although we like to see uh, how are we doing, how are we improving, how are we confronting our fixed mindsets each day, but we definitely are not going to sit and claim any, at any point in time, some victory. Uh, change that we have had over the last, whatever, four years has been good. Uh, but I think going forward, we will have to do the same amount. And it'll be the same. It's not going to be some easy process. Uh, every day, in fact, is going to be a new challenge. Um, and are we ready to confront it? Time will tell. Uh, quite frankly. So therefore, I don't sit around and claim any kind of uh, victory or re destination reached. Good. Just a lot of hard, persistent, diligent work. That's correct. That's right. Thank you. Thank you, Kathleen. Um, it's been an honor, and I appreciate both of your time more than you know. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.